Yes, the Ancient of Days uh, is going to send the Judge, Jesus Christ, to rule and reign and set up His kingdom forevermore. And so it's coming, church, and uh, we're looking at that passage of Scripture uh, this morning in Daniel chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at uh, Daniel 11 this morning, and, uh, and I want us to uh, pray for those who have... Uh, experienced a great deal of heartache uh, this weekend. We we're going we're to do that at the conclusion of the service. Trevor, there's not going to be an invitation. I just want to time prayer and meditation, okay? But uh, Daniel chapter 11. And uh, chapters 10 through 12 deal with the, the fourth and final uh, prophecy in the book of Daniel. And uh, last week we kind of introduced things um, in Daniel chapter 10, and we uh, talked about spiritual warfare because uh, most likely it was the angel Gabriel was uh, held up for 21 days. Daniel had been praying. He had he was uh, rather despondent because of the news that he had heard about uh, the children of Israel who had gone back to uh, Jerusalem to uh, rebuild the temple. Uh, uh, Cyrus had allowed them, given them permission to go back. The 70 years of exile that Jeremiah prophesied um, was now over. And so this first wave had gone back to Jerusalem. But uh, Daniel had gotten word that uh, the, the work, the project, had been halted. They had run into uh, some serious obstacles. And because of that, uh, Daniel was in prayer. And finally, after 21 days, uh, Gabriel came. doesn't say the name of the, name of the angel is Gabriel, but most likely it is. Uh, was talking about the fact that, Daniel, I would have been here earlier, but the prince of Persia uh, was uh, holding me up. I was held captive. And so it just kind of peeled back what is happening invisibly that our eyes can't see. And we talked about the fact that, uh, you know, we see all these man, man-made powers, these, all these different institutions that control, govern, influence our lives. And just as real as those are, there is an invisible power that influences everything that we see physically. And we talked about spiritual warfare uh, last week. And, uh, and so this morning, we are going to be uh, looking at Daniel chapter 11, and uh, we are getting into uh, the prophecy, this fourth uh, prophecy. And uh, in verse, let me just read verses uh, 1 through 4 this morning to begin. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall rise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece." Then a mighty king shall arise and shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others Besides these, and so if you think uh, verses two through four sound familiar, that's because they are. Because in Daniel chapter eight, we looked at the vision between ram, the ram and the goat, and uh, the the ram represented the Mede Persian Empire, and that was going to last for a period of time, and then there was going to become the Greek Empire, and. Uh, um, Alexander the Great 
which was the first um, emperor, the first king, he came and he he wrecked havoc. He took uh, ground that no one else in history had ever taken before. His empire was immense, and he did this by the age of thirty. And by the age of uh, thirty three, thirty four, somewhere around there, he died. Um, unexpectedly. And following um, Alexander the Great, that territory was then divided up in four different regions. And so as we go through Daniel chapter 11, and we're not going to read all of chapter 11 this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at 400 years of history. Because as Daniel receives this vision, verses 2 through 4 are just the overview of what's going to take place over these 400 years. And then in verses 5 through 19, we see battles that are occurring before the north and the south. And if we have a map, I think we have a map of this region here. This is the... uh, This is the Greek Empire, okay, in verses uh, 5 through 19. And um, over there where Israel is, I don't have my pointer this morning. You'll see Damascus, but you know where Israel is on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. Well, in verses 5 through 19, um, you see the Egyptian, the Talmud, the Ptolemaic Empire versus the Seleucian Empire, they're constantly going to battle against each other. And Israel is right in the middle. And Daniel's talking about all these different battles that are going to occur in that passage of Scripture. And Israel is kind of like a ping-pong ball. And they're just kind of a pawn, and these armies keep traipsing up and down north and south through the land of beautiful. And it is just a miserable time of life for the nation of Israel. And, uh, and the angel is saying, this is what Israel is going to be like. Again, they're beyond captivity now. They're back in the land of Israel. And so for the next 400 years... Um, Daniel is sharing this prophecy. Now, the picture of this battle, I want you to think about is this. The futility and fleeting glory of human power. Over the next, over the next 400 years, there are ideologies ideologies in the north and in the south and they're waging battle against each other over who is going to influence who and it is a war of futility this life is not about who rules or reigns. As, as for us as Christians, it is not about who's in Washington, D.C. It's not about the Republicans. It's not about the Democrats. As believers in Christ's church, it is about God's glory. That's what matters. Now, should politics matter to us as believers? Yes. But that's not where our hope resides. And just as Daniel was conveying, the angel was conveying this, um, this vision, or Daniel was conveying this vision to Darius, uh, this, is, this, is a futility, this is a futility and fleeting glory of human power. David is indicate Daniel is indicating here. What matters is the glory of God. And that needs to be our priority as believers and as a church. 
our nation needs God. It doesn't need so-and-so. It needs God. Because it's not who's in, ch- who's in charge in Washington that's going to change hearts. The only person who can change hearts is the person of Jesus Christ. And church, our country needs revival. Because there are people today who think that they can change things through power, through, um, through harm, through mass destruction. And it's never going to happen. And our country today is more divided than ever before. And it's because we are just thinking of things and acting out things physically. This is a spiritual battle. And we need to be trusting our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we see this battle take place between, uh, between verses 5 and um, verse 20. But then, beginning with verse 21, we see a climactic king of the, of the north. And we looked at this individual in Daniel chapter 8. He's the, the little horn. He is Antiochus Epiphany, the fourth of Daniel chapter 8. And uh, we looked at the fact that uh, he is a foreshadow of the Antichrist. If you weren't with us in Daniel chapter 8, Antiochus is a wicked dude. And he did not like the Jews. In fact, there was a period where he killed 80,000 Jews at one time, at one point. He violated, uh, he desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig upon the altar. Uh, And so this was one vile individual. And so we, we read more, learn more about Antiochus in verses 21 through 35. Now in verses 20 through 27, we see a battle where Antiochus was victorious over Egypt. And, uh, and I want to pick up in verse 29, because uh, just, just um, defeating Egypt w- once was not enough for him. And so in verse 29, it says this, and we're going to read through verse 35. At that time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, that is Egypt, but it shall not be this time as it was before. He's not going to have. He's not going to win this time. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and she and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. And so, as he's gone down to to Egypt one more time, ships come from west. And this is the, the first taste of what we see of the Roman, what will become the Roman Empire. This is their first opportunity of influence. And they support Egypt and they turn Antiochus, the king of Syria, the Seleucids, he, they turn him away. Verse 31. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress. And so, Antiochus has gone back to the north, but as he's gone to the north, to the north, he's going through Jerusalem, okay? And he is one upset dude. <clears throat> so forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, that's Jerusalem, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate, that we looked at in Daniel chapter 8. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. 
When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it shall it still awaits the appointed time. So what's happening here is uh, <clears throat> Daniel is prophesying that it's going to get really bad for Israel. The temple is going to be um, profaned. It's going to be desecrated. And, uh, but there is going to be a group of people who are going to rant, rise up and stand firm. And they're going to come against this wicked king. And they're going to defeat this wicked king. But there are going to be consequences as well. Many of them are going to die as they stand up and rebel against this king. But in their death, Daniel is saying they are going to be purified. They are going to be made white. They are going to be rewarded for their faith in Jehovah God. And we'll get to that at, uh, at the end of this message this morning. And so this is, this uprising that occurs actually did take place around 170 B.C. I, my date isn't exact, but uh, maybe you're aware of Judas of, of Maccabees. Uh, Judas rose up against uh, Antiochus, the king. They, the, they, they overtook the temple that had been desecrated, and so they reestablished the law and the sacrifice, and they had experienced a mighty victory that Jews still celebrate to this very day. And that celebration is Hanukkah. So when you hear the Jews celebrating Hanukkah, that typically happens around Christmas time. They're not celebrating Christmas. They're celebrating this victory that occurred in in 170-167 B.C., And so Daniel has prophesied this uh, 400 years earlier, and that has happened, that has happened exactly. So as you read through Daniel chapter 11, there's lots of details, and those details can get overwhelming. But if you read the historians of um, Judaism and uh, and and the empires of that day, uh, other secular historians, they all confirm the details that Daniel describes in this chapter. And so when it comes to liberal interpreters who read this book, they like to say there is no way under God's green heaven that Daniel could have prophesied these things because they're so specific and they all came true. But we know from history and prophecy that Daniel is the one who prophesied these things in 550 A.D. Things that were to occur 400 years later. Now that's through verse... 35. And then we come to verse 36. Verses 36 through 45 are things that are yet to occur. Through verse 35, for us, this is history now. This all happened. From Daniel's perspective, this was about to happen. This was what was going to happen to his, his nation, his people. Now, in verses 36, we're still waiting for these things to happen. And so I want us to look at uh, verses 36 through 45. And the king shall do as he wills. Okay? This is a different king. This is not Antiochus. Antiochus. 
excuse me, I always mispronounce that name. It can't be Antiochus, because Antiochus didn't die in Jerusalem. Okay, he he died somewhere else. And so we know that this isn't Antiochus. Verse, Verse 36, going on. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He doesn't believe in God. He denies there's a God. He's a God. That's what he wants people to believe. And shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the, till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, to the ones beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strong, strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come to the glorious land and ten Tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. That's another reason why this king cannot be Antiochus because Antiochus didn't defeat Egypt again. This king, this new king of the north does. Verse 44. News from the east and the north shall alarm him and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. We don't have time to look at that particular passage uh, specifically, but this is describing Armageddon. And this is the, the demise of what we know to be the Antichrist. And so... The little horn of verses 29 through 35 is different from the little horn of verses 36 through 45. And we looked at this in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, this little horn originates from the Roman Empire or the remnants of the Roman Empire. And that's who... Daniel is referring to in this passage uh, of scripture and uh, and so he's conveying to um, Darius but he also knows in his heart that as bad as it's going to get with Antiochus through verse 35 it's going to get a whole lot worse with the Antichrist that's going to come on the scene at the end of time. And so this Antichrist doesn't follow right on the heels of Antiochus. This is something that we are still waiting on um, at the end of time that the book of Revelation refers to. So... um, Just know that this is still awaiting. Jesus says that this is going to come. 
If you have your Bibles, you can look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. What does Jesus say about the end time? Verses 4 through 8. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Church, we have been in the end times since the time of Christ. But I want you to know this morning, we are no closer to the end than we are today. And when we hear of wars and rumors of wars and, 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 and famines and earthquakes, Jesus say, says these are the birth pains of what is yet to come. This is just a precursor. And we need to know this and not be duped by the Antichrist that's going to come on the, on the scene. Because the Antichrist, according to Daniel, and according to Jesus, and according to Paul, he's going to be a very articulate, convincing, powerful, influential person that's going to capture the hearts and imaginations of mankind who were there at that time. And Jesus says, beware. There's going to be many messiahs that come on the scene. And all these things are going to be taking a place around you, but these are merely the birth pains of what is yet to come. Jesus says this in verse 24 of Matthew 24, for false messiahs, And false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. John describes this person as the Antichrist in 1 John chapter 1 and 2 and 2 John. Paul describes this man as the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I just want to encourage you, church, if you don't know the truth, you are going to be duped by the deceiver. Because he is going to be very, very convincing. It is so important, church, that you know the truth, that you know what the Word of God says. And when you feel earthquakes and you read about the the chaos and and the, the horrific events that are taking place around us and around you, that you not be caught off guard. Because Jesus says these things are going to happen. We need to be aware. And I've got some great news for you this morning, church. We don't have to be overtaken by these things. Because in the end, you know what? Jesus wins. And those who belong to Jesus win. Look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 12 as we... Uh, conclude this message this morning. The Bible says this, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, 
And there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written, shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn away and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Daniel is conveying the, this, this vision to his, his people because he doesn't want the Jews to be caught off guard and know that when all these cataclysmic events occur in verses 5 through 20, it's not the end. And I have a question as I was studying this passage of Scripture and as the people of God had this vision and as these events were occurring in the the Greek Empire, the north was doing battle against the south and you know, the, uh, Israel was being tossed back and forth among these two, two groups of people. I wonder how many realized how, what actually was going on. Did they know Daniel's prophecy and that these things were supposed to occur? Because had they not known Daniel's prophecy, and I imagine many of them didn't, how troubling that time must have been for them. But Daniel said, even as those events occur, guys, it's still not the end. The end is yet to come. And so the end that is yet to come, that's a prophecy for you and I this morning. And we need to know the truth. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because, you need to underline this, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Who are the people who are going to be duped? Who refuse to believe the truth. Who choose not to know the truth. Church, you need, we need to know the truth. Just because we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that we know the word of God. We can know this morning that these words are true. That they are going to take place. In fact, if you go back to the first part of chapter 10, or last part of chapter 10, as we're as this vision is beginning to unfold, um, it says this in verse 21. This is the angel Gabriel. said, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. And then in verse 2 of chapter 11, now I will show you the truth. This is the truth. You know, God has given us his word. 
And so, praise God, we know his revealed truth. But there's another truth that God has. There's his book of truth, and it reflects all of history and what God is going to do through all of history. You know what, church? It's true. And if we don't believe or know the words of this book, we are going to fall for the lies of the Antichrist. Now, the real Antichrist, I don't know if he's on the scene yet or not. He may be, but I want to guarantee you this, we live in the age of the Antichrist, spirit of the Antichrist. And the lies of the enemy are trying to convince us that what we know to be true is just pure fantasy. This is real church. And we need to get serious about it. And so here's the good news. Salvation is coming for God's people. Jesus is going to intervene. Okay? And Paul says he's going to intervene in a big way. He's going to overthrow the enemy with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. His glory is just going to wipe away the enemy. I mean, it's not going to be a big fight at all. But Jesus is just, Jesus is going to just blow on them. And the Antichrist and his army and all those are going to be defeated. And for those who know Christ, the Bible says there is going to be a resurrection. Well, in Daniel chapter 7, it talks about the ancient of age, God our Father, sending the judge, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is going to set up his kingdom. And he's going to judge, and he's going to rule, and he's going to reign. And the Bible says that when he comes back, everyone who has, has died throughout history is going to be resurrected. You know, even those who don't believe in Jesus, they're going to be resurrected. All God's creation, those whom God has created in the image of God, we are eternal beings. And we're going to be in one of two places. Either in the presence of God for all eternity or separated from him for all eternity. Because that's what the Bible says in chapter 12. And many of those who sleep, verse 2, in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is true, church. The judge is going to come back and he's going to separate those who believed from those who rejected the truth. And all are going to live in one of two places. And for those who have persevered, for those who have believe the truth. Verse 3 says, they are going to shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is our future for those whose lives are in Christ, those who have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live or you who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what this life is all about. And if you haven't come to a place personally in your life where you've embraced the truth of who Jesus is, you're on the outside looking in. And Jesus died for you, friend. 
He died because he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants you to be with him for all eternity. And there's only one way to do that, and that's through Jesus. There's no other gate. There's no other path. It's only Jesus. Daniel says, God has spelled all of this out. All of history, all of prophecy is playing out in God's book. Is your name written in the book of life? Now, here's the million-dollar question. This is, this is the question the skeptics asked, okay? Well, God has already had this planned out. Then why in the world should I be held accountable for my sin? You know, if he's, if he's sovereign, I have no responsibility in it because God has spelled it out for me of how I'm to live my life. Friend, yes, God is sovereign. There is divine sovereignty. But the Bible also talks about our responsibility. There are, it's both at play in this passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to, act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul is telling us in that passage of Scripture, you have a responsibility to do what, do what God has called you to do. And God is also working in our life to help us fulfill what God has called us to do. Yes, God is sovereign. He knows how all the details are going to be played out. And he holds every one of us personally responsible for what we are to do as children of God. Now, there's an unbelieving world that wants to convince you and me this morning that what I've just talked about is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's a fantasy world in which we live and believe and think these things. I just want to remind you this morning, church, that God in his word to Daniel says, these things are true. There's two different realities. Well, before I get to that, I want to say the skeptic world who wants to convince us of these things, that they, they are absolutely false and ridiculous, and we should be ashamed of, having belie- of even believing such things. You know what? That is the spirit of the Antichrist, friend. And it is alive and well today. 1 John 4, 3 says, But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus... Is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. What has been said and is recorded is true. I want to leave you with this thought. Truth Primary, truth is primary, and matter is secondary. You know, we live in a scientific age, and oh, scientists want us to believe that matter is what is most important, and that matter is all that matters. But for us, as believers, we know that Truth 
is always primary. And matter is secondary. And John said this in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Before there was ever any matter at all, there was truth. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. I hope you believe this, that what matters most in this life is the truth. And Jesus is the truth. And Jesus created all the matter. And Jesus holds all the matter together. And if we don't believe in Jesus, life is going to fall apart. If your life is, isn't being built on the rock, know the storm is coming. It, be, it beats against all the houses, on the sand and on the rock. But only the house that's built on the rock is going to remain. for those houses that are built on the sand and how miserable this life can become, gets, guess what? This is the best it's ever going to get. The worst is yet to come for all eternity who, for those who don't believe the truth. Why would anybody want to reject the truth? The news of this weekend has been horrendous. And as bad as that news is, the Bible says it's going to get a whole lot worse. And there's going to be someone that's going to come on the scene who's going to sound awfully convincing and have all the answers. And for people who don't know the truth, they're going to get caught up in the wave of this person's popularity. They're going to get eaten alive. Know the truth. Stand for the truth. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Because the truth is the power of the gospel that changes the lives of people. Not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's Jesus. We need him now more than ever before. Let's pray. Trevor, if you come, just play softly. I want us to pray for our country. Pray for El Paso. Dayton. Gilroy. There are families suffering this morning. Never imagined in a million years that what took place yesterday would happen in their own life. Family. Let's pray that 
God would be very real in their pain and sorrow. Let's pray for our nation. It's so divided today. And the rhetoric is so ugly. We need Jesus. As Christians, we need to stand up and proclaim the truth and know the truth. Love God. Love one another. Pray that the church would reflect, would truly be the body of Christ. This world of darkness. Let's not let the world overtake our hearts. They become dark and discouraged. As God's people, we win. Jesus wins. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to judge those. He's going to reward those who have been faithful to the end, he's going to judge sin. Tell him thank you that he's revealed his truth to you and that you believe. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that your truth is primary and that's what matters most. Forgive us, God, where we are just caught up in the matter and the news and we neglect or ignore or forget the truth. God, as your people, may we feed our inner man with the word of God because it's primary it's true and it's going to last for all eternity our nation needs Jesus our world needs Jesus God, help us to draw a circle around ourselves and not point fingers at other people and how other people need to change. May you work upon the person that's inside the circle. May it start with us first. Thank you, Father. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray.